This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Our Military Kids is a nonprofit organization that supports kids ages 5th through 12th grade, kids of deployed National Guard and Reserve service members in particular, and children of wounded warriors from all service branches. Grants that they provide pay for participation in activities that help kids cope with stress and anxiety while their parents are recovering or absent. That is their mission statement, and it sounds pretty basic, but it really doesn't give you an idea of the tremendous impact that this organization has had. Since being founded in 2004, Our Military Kids has given out $25 million in over 61,000 grants to military kids in all U.S. states and territories. The surveys that they do every year show that nearly 100% of kids who receive grants are satisfied with the program. Children's mental health and academic performance improves. Recipients also say that there are improvements in family well-being and service member morale and veteran recovery time. In this part of today's show, we're going to be speaking with two representatives from Our Military Kids, which, by the way, is OurMilitaryKids.org, and they're going to tell us about some of the wonderful people that they've given grants to, how the organization got started, and where they're hoping to go in the future, and more importantly, what you need to know about the organization and how you can get involved. Today's show is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union, which has been proudly serving the Armed Forces veterans and their families for over 80 years. And if you're a member of the Armed Forces or the Department of Defense, they'd be proud to serve you too. Federally insured by NCUA. And it all starts right after this. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brown. My guests for this part of the, today's show are Linda Davidson, who is the founder and CEO of Our Military Kids, and Gretchen Hitchner, who's the director of communication for the organization. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Linda, let's, let's start with you since you're the founder and CEO. Tell us about how Our Military Kids got started and, and why you started it. Our Military Kids was started 14 years ago. And um, I have no connection with the military, but in, at the time um, of uh, the idea was uh, an effort to be able to say thank you to those who um, serve, um, our men and women who volunteer to um, serve in the National Guard and Reserve were being deployed um, in great numbers. And I was just grateful that um, people were um, volunteering to deploy overseas to protect my family. But there's a difference. I mean, I'm just thinking, you, you said you had no no experience or no connection with the military. And 
people who don't have a connection with the military who want to express their gratitude bake cookies usually or something. I, I mean, that, that's I'm, what I'm saying is that that's, that's a big step is to start an organization. Um, I had an opportunity to speak to um, uh, several reserve um, and National Guard spouses who were sharing the challenges that their families were having um, at, after becoming suddenly military, as they, as they termed it. And um, it resonated because of my children. And um, I felt that um, there was an opportunity to be able to say thank you or express my gratitude in a meaningful way. Um, nothing is more important than your children. And if one can help somebody take care of their children while they are overseas protecting my family, it was a much better thank you than cookies. Um, when I was um, doing my research to determine whether or not this was um, a, a, a need that existed, um, I came across a quote from a service member who was deployed to Iraq, and he was asked, what do you need most um, during your deployment? And he said, please don't send cookies, care packages, or socks. Just take care of our children. And that really helped spawn that idea. Yeah, much. I, I didn't mean to denigrate cookies in any way. I, I have an addiction to cookies, but I mean, just saying that it was, it was a, a big step. It's a big step. And Gretchen, how did you get involved with all this? Um, well, I'm a military kid myself. Um, I am a grown-up now, but I still identify as a military child. Um, I grew up all over, and when I learned about this organization and that there was a position open, it just seemed like a homecoming for me. Um, there is nothing better than going to work every day and being proud of what you do and knowing that, you know, especially Linda's story, she's just one person, and here we are 14 years later still at war, and we've served over 61,000 children with grants and activities that have helped them get through um, really tough times. And what more could you want? You know, Linda mentioned the connection with Reserve and Guard, which is something when I did a book a few years ago on, on military fathers, that was a whole area that I think so many people just have no clue about. Especially, I mean, you know, for, for quite often they're living in a place where they're the only people in town who have any kind of connection to the military. So there's no connection to the spouses around them. The kids are the only kids in their class who have a military connection. So they 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 aren't getting the kinds of recognition or services available. That that was a really a really bold step to to do something specifically for that group. Are are you focusing on reserve and guard families or gen, or anybody now who deploys? Um, our initial focus was only on Reserve and National Guard families, um, but in 2008, we recognized that the children of our wounded warriors, all branches, all components, uh, were in a similar situation in that um, they were either relocated to um, military hospitals to be near their loved ones as they recover from uh, combat-related uh, injuries, or once those uh, initial uh, treatment was given, they were uh, going back home to their hometowns where they were not near military bases either, and they didn't have access to support services uh, that might be available there. So we wrapped our arms around those children as well. So our um, grants now are available to children of our deployed Reserve and National Guard, and they must be deployed overseas and the children of our wounded warriors, all branches, all components. So, Gretchen, tell us a little bit about 
the kinds of programming that there is available. First of all, let's actually start with the website. It's ourmilitarykids.org, right? Okay, just want to make sure everybody's got that. We'll mention that again a few times and how people can can find out uh, on the website about what you're doing. But tell us about some of the the programming that's available and who it's available to and how, how they would find out more. Well, the children have to be ages 5 through 12th grade, and they get to pick an activity of their own choosing. Some of them want to continue an activity. Some of them want to try something new. The most popular activities are martial arts and gymnastics. We've um, This year we gave out a log rolling grant to a girl in Wisconsin. We have a 14-year-old boy from Wisconsin also who um, used his grant to take bull riding classes. And this is a career he wants to pursue. We have um, tutoring available if they want to do um, driver's ed. A lot, of our, a lot of our kids, because their parent is either recovering or deployed, don't have a parent at home who can take them on driver's ed um, training. So they'll use the money to take those classes. Um, and then, you know, there's the sailing camp, summer camp, YMCA camp, and the kids get to choose. And they also, when they receive a grant from us, they receive a, a thank you letter and a packet that says, thank you for your service. It gives them dog tags, but it also gives them a postcard to thank the person who provided them the grant. And so they write out a thank you note to our supporters, um, the donors. And those donors get thank you notes from the kids. And they say, thank you for sending me to space camp while my dad was in Iraq. Um, His deployment was hard, but this made it easier. And they get to tell the uh, the funders directly what it meant to them. So that's the other piece of the program that is really significant because they do connect with the people who support them. And it's, I mean, it's just, there's nothing better than being acknowledged that you're a special family because your family's making sacrifices. But then to have the opportunity to say back to your donor, thank you for doing this for me, you know, it's just, it's a win-win for everybody. That sounds like a really unique model. Is that something that that you thought about as specifically when you were setting it up, Linda, that... I mean, I, I just all of a sudden thought of uh, like a connection with that somebody has a, a donor, like a bone marrow donor or something like that. When you get those two together, the donor and the recipient, it this makes for such a gut wrenching kind of kind of media coverage. And for the two of them to see each other seems so much more, I don't know, meaningful, emotional, it's strong. I, I can't even think of exactly what the right words would be. There are so many of them. But that that type of thing that it's different than I mean not not that that it's bad just to donate to an anonymous pool and have that come from a pool, but was that something that you thought of having this direct connection like that? It's something I thought of early on um what initially um kept me passionate about this program was the feedback I was receiving from the families um because it was more than just um the monetary contribution that they were receiving from. Um, our military kids, it was the acknowledgement that we do appreciate their family service to our country, and they're not forgotten. And that meant so much to me, and I was trying to figure out a way that the donors could feel that same kind of enthusiasm and passion for continuing to to give and, and to recognize these families. And the postcards seemed like a, an, an, a good way to be able to connect the two. Um, I've always said that our military kids, we're not the ones that are supporting these families. We're the messengers. We're the messengers of a grateful nation 
who want to be able to say thank you in a meaningful way. And it's not just putting a bumper sticker on your car or just saying thank you um, as you see a service member in uniform. It's to be able to support their families because that is, in many cases, why our men and women in are in uniform. They're um, serving our country so that they can ensure their families and their children have a better future. I'm Armin Brott. I'm talking with Gretchen Hitchner, who's the Director of Communication for Our Military Kids, which is ourmilitarykids.org, by the way, and also with Linda Davidson, who's the founder and CEO of the organization. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to these two ladies about uh, more about what's going on with the program and the impact that they're having. Thank you. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Gretchen Hitchner, who's the Director of Communications, and Linda Davidson, who's the founder and CEO, both of Our Military Kids, which is OurMilitaryKids.org. And I want to go back to you, Gretchen, and have you talk a little bit about some of the programs. You were telling me before we went on uh, about a gal in California who decided to do surfing. And I was kind of wondering, as you said before, when you said that one, and then you also said something about bull riding, do you have to go talk to the parents about this stuff first? I mean, I would imagine that there might be some parents who might say, you know, bull riding, what, find something else that's not going to break you into small pieces or, you know, how, how much of it do you have to talk to the parents before you start sending people off to, or, you know, not sending people, but you're going to send them a check? Well, the parents have to do the application, and they have to provide all of the paperwork. So um, Samantha Sibley is, is one of our um, recipients, and she, when she was nine, she wanted to um, surprise her father, who had been deployed to Afghanistan, I think. Um, and she wanted to learn how to surf and surprise him when he came home. And she did, and she discovered that she had an incredible talent, and she's now... Um, one of the U.S. champions. She just competed last weekend, and um, she competes all over the world in Japan, and um, she is on a professional surfing tour as a 16-year-old girl. Her father has deployed, um, I think, four or five times, and she was out uh, as one of our military kids of the year this year with her mom, and she was there to acknowledge all of the people who make this possible, all of the supporters that we have. Um, but, you know, she was asked, do you, would you like to keep participating? And she said, not if it means my dad has to deploy again. And um, it's part of his job. And um, so these kids, you know, they do get the benefits of um, being able to take a, a neat, different activity, participate in that. But the bottom line is they're still missing their parent for nine months at a time. And um, we have probably 40 cases this year of children who's, who are receiving their third or fourth grant. And we're, you know, just halfway into the year. Um, that means their parent is deployed three or four times in their lifetime. Um, so that's a significant separation, and they go through a lot. So it's it's a small thing that we can do, but... The best part of it is that um, it's it just has such a good impact on them, and um, whether it allows them to take you know a dance comp participate in a dance competition that they couldn't have maybe paid for without our help, or 
helps them learn a new talent that they can share with their parent who is deployed. A lot of times they'll FaceTime and get to see, you know, the baseball games or the swimming competitions, and it's something they can share. So, What's your, your favorite one of these? You, you must have seen hundreds of them, or you've definitely seen hundreds of them over, over 14 years. Do you have a, a, a one particular one that really hits you when you think about it? Um, the most um, impactful um, story I think we have, um, or at least comes to mind for me, was a teenage boy who tried to commit suicide because his dad came back from um, his second deployment, and it was not the dad he said goodbye to when he left. And um, Alex's father and he were best of friends, and um, as Alex would share with uh, his family and friends when they said if, asked if his dad was home yet, he would say no. The father I know is still in Afghanistan. Um, so it was very hard for Alex um, to accept that. And as a result, his uh, academics plummeted. Um, he became despondent. He tried to commit suicide, was in the ICU for four days. So he uh, was close to death. And um, during his um, recovery, um, we, his mother learned about our military kids and we gave him a grant, and um, I asked that the grant be presented to him on Christmas Day because it was right around the holidays. And um, we wrapped up his grant award and sent it to his family. And his mother sent me pictures that afternoon, and Alex was sitting on the sofa with tears running down his cheeks. And as much as he appreciated the grant, he asked his mother, Mom, do you do you mean that there are complete strangers who really care about me and my family? And she said, yes, Alex, there are people who care and appreciate your dad's service to our country. That turned his life around. His mother called me that spring um, after the uh, grading period and said, Linda, you will not believe this. Alex has all A's, and he was not scheduled to graduate um, because it was a senior year in high school because he was short so many credits. And the administrators worked with him, and Alex actually graduated in June and wanted to go on to college, which was never in his, his uh, um, plan. So um, I am proud to say that Alex just graduated this last May um, from college, and I have to say it was that much of an influence on changing his whole outlook on life. I had the pleasure of meeting him, and he said, Linda, your organization gave me hope, something that I did not have before receiving the grant from you. Thank you. His father contacted us. I actually met him in person, and he said, Linda, I had to come and meet the people who saved my children. Wow. So... Okay, I interview a lot of people for <laughs> who do a lot of good stuff, and it's it's just a very unique approach that you've got of of some being able to make that connection. Did Alex have a particular activity that he was doing that the grant was for? It was actually an interesting grant. It was kind of out of the ordinary, but we um, allowed or paid for him to attend Comic Con, and as bizarre as that sounded, he um, had very few 
activities that he engaged in with that did not involve his dad prior to his dad's deployment and then coming back and coming back a different person. So although it was kind of a, a unique grant, it was something that excited him. And he was very much immersed into comic books and the whole um, superhero um, um, theme. And that experience, oddly enough, motivated him to get into graphic art. And he um, is looking at going to animator school um, and and is a, a graduate program. So it's kind of a very unique and interesting story. But it's one I often share because even if our military kids can take credit for changing the course of one child's life, in my opinion, it's all worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Gretchen, tell us a little bit. You have a, a, a what do you call it, Empowering the Military Child Impact Report. And it just tells in, in graphics and big numbers a lot of the impact that you've had. I mean, besides that one particular one that Linda just that you shared, which is certainly a lot of impact. And it sounds like each one of these, there's a, there's a wonderful story that goes along. But give us a little bit of big picture. One of the numbers that jumped out at me was 94% saw a decrease in the child's stress and anxiety. And that's something that anybody who's been around this field at all knows that kids who've got a parent deployed are perhaps not to the extent that Alex was, but they're suffering in a lot of ways. Sometimes they'll have behavioral problems or academic problems or social problems or will get involved in drugs or alcohol or teen pregnancy, all all, all of the, the things that any parent would say, boy, I don't want my kids to be doing that. And a lot of that is stress and anxiety related. And I mean, how to, to have something that, that reduces 94% of the time, that's that's big stuff. Well, for a lot of these um, families, especially if you have multiple kids, every um, class, is it all adds up. And with one parent at home, um, to be able to um, be the caretaker for the children and afford all of the um, extra activities is sometimes just not feasible without our program. So first of all, it takes the stress off the parent for having to figure out how to how to cover that. It also provides kids an opportunity to um, make friends in a different environment. And if they're having a hard time reaching out and they're feeling isolated, which a lot of these families are because, as as we know, they're in our neighborhoods. They're not connected to a military base, and um, they're not they're not affiliated with other military families. A lot of times they're the only ones in their neighborhood or their school who, with a parent deployed. So it gives them a way to go out into the community and make friendships and um, just do an activity um, because they are a military child. And as we all know, as parents, um, kids need physical activity. And when you have a routine and you're able to get them a way to work out their emotions, um, challenge themselves physically, and um, find excitement in what they're doing, then everything else seems to be a little bit easier in their lives. They tend to do better in school. They do a little better when they're sleeping. um, And they connect a little bit better with their parents if they have that dedicated outlet outlet in an activity that they enjoy and not just, you know, an assigned activity at PE, but something where they can challenge themselves. 
So we only have just a minute left. Just give us a, a quick overview from, from both sides, how somebody who has been inspired by listening to you and would like to become a donor and somebody who would like to perhaps apply for something. Um, our applications are very easy. They're all online now. You go to ourmilitarykids.org, and um, the requirements are right there. Usually we'll have a grant processed and sent out within two weeks, so it's very easy. Um, for donors, um, you can go to the same website. We can take everything online, and um, generally the cost of one child's program is between four fifty and $500, and so you can make a difference in one child's life by providing six months of an activity for $500 um, or $25, whatever you can, whatever you can um, afford to give. Everything is, everything we raise is privately funded, so everything helps. I've been talking with Linda Davidson, who's the founder and CEO of Our Military Kids, which again is ourmilitarykids.org, and also with Gretchen Hitchner, who's the director of communication. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Anyone who loves or even just appreciates science will tell you that there's something beautiful about it. At the same time, those who love or even just appreciate art often admire the technique and scientific precision that can go into creating a masterpiece. This week, we had a chance to experience several engaging products that blur the lines between art and science. The Virtuality from Curiscope. Among its many applications, augmented reality, AR, has the capacity to revolutionize education, and the Virtuality is a great example. Just download the free iOS or Android app, have someone put on the included t-shirt, or if you're alone, you can use selfie mode, and get ready to explore the circulatory, that's bloodstream, respiratory, the lungs, and digestive, the intestine, systems, in a truly eye-popping way. Each one uses 360-degree videos that make you feel like you're stepping inside your own body. While exploring the bloodstream, for example, you'll barrel through veins and arteries dodging giant blood cells. Touch on-screen hotspots, and an onboard anatomy expert will explain everything you need to know. If you're looking for a way to spark or deepen an interest in human anatomy, you can't do better than this. It's for ages 6 and up, costs $29.95 at curiscope.com. The Augie Augmented Reality Robot from Pi Technologies. As far as we know, Augie is the first coding robot that, or who maybe, comes with AR technology. What's especially cool about Augie is that after introducing the basics of coding using Blockly, he or she, or is it it, then grows with your child through six distinct progression-based modes. Your little programmer will soon have Augie dashing around your house, nimbly avoiding obstacles, spinning and making sounds, all while stealthily stimulating your child's imagination, critical thinking, logic, and problem-solving skills. The app is free, as are the over 60 AR coding tutorials that follow the standard set by Code.org. It's for ages 5 and up, costs under $95. You can get it at pi.technology. The Smart Sketcher from Flycatcher. This kid-friendly projector is designed to guide your child, or you, through drawing, coloring, tracing, and creating. 
You can download photos from your smart device using the free Android or iOS app, or use any of the included preloaded themed activity packs, more of which are available and sold separately. There are even some nice curriculum-based tutorials that are designed to teach drawing and sketching technique. Comes with crayons, markers, paper, and other artists' tools. Batteries are required, but not included. It's for ages 5 and up. Costs under 60 bucks. You can get information at smartsketcher.com. The Boolean Box from Boolean Girl. While we applaud any and all efforts to get girls interested in technology and engineering, there's absolutely no reason why this product needs to be targeted only at girls. Boolean Box is a well-designed, high-quality kit that comes with everything, and I mean everything, keyboard, processor, wires, resistors, buttons, lights, and so on, that a child of either sex would need to build a computer, and then use it to code and create other tech projects. Software, including Minecraft, is preloaded. The only thing that's not included is a monitor, but there's an HDMI cable that will allow you to connect it to your TV or computer screen. Inspiration and instructions for hundreds of projects are at the Boolean Girl website, as is admission to Boolean University, which has even more coding and electronics projects. Putting together the computer is easy for a novice to accomplish without much help from mom or dad. Coding is easy to learn with Scratch, which is a visual programming language, but kids will be ready to move on to Python before you know it. Batteries are required, but not included. It's for ages 7 and up. Costs under $150, and you can find out more at BooleanGirl.org. You can also find out a lot more about many, many, many other toys and games and activities that you can do with your family, educational or just plain fun, at ParentsAtPlay.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. But don't go quite yet because there's a lot more of this Positive Parenting Show coming right up. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Most parents are perfectly fine communicators, unless they're talking to their children. Then, too often, their pitch rises and they come across as pleading, indignant, wounded, outraged. In tone and body language, they signal, I can't handle it when you act like a child. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking with a practicing social clinical psychologist who saw this pattern time and time again in her practice. In response, she developed a remarkably effective series of what she called voice lessons, which she shared with parents who were struggling with their kids. The results were immediate. A shift in vocal style led to children who were calmer, listened more attentively, and communicated with more warmth, 
respect, and sincerity. As the parents found their voices, turns out, so did the kids. The art of conversation with children, she says, rests not only on content, but also on learning to speak in an ever-changing dialect that evolves as the child matures. Understanding a child's cognitive abilities, temperament, and interests, along with neurobiological and gender differences, are the first steps towards effective communication. I'm Armin Braun. We'll start talking about voice lessons for parents and how they can benefit you and your family. All that starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. My guest for this part of today's show is Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. Wendy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming back on the show. You were here quite a while ago when your your book, uh, The Blessing of a Skin Knee, came out. That's right, and I'm happy to be back again. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So let's talk about the, the whole concept of communicating with kids and where parents go wrong? So it's, this is something that has gotten harder than ever, and it's a paradox because parents are actually spending more time with their children than they used to, but they're having a harder time having conversations with them that are delightful or important. And part of the reason is technology, and part of the reason is that we are so nervous and hurried and uh, ambitious that we try to download all the important information and all the improvements that our children need all at once, and so they become parent deaf and stop listening to us. Wait, but what are, what are we doing with them? If we're spending more time with them than we used to, are we just sitting watching something or texting, or what, what's going on, and, and who's calculating this? Uh, there have been a couple of studies um, of the sociodemographic and time maps of family life, and it was it was a surprising finding, even working mothers, because in the past, parents would say to their kids, kids had very little homework, or they would say to their kids in the summer, okay, out the door, and you can come back when it gets dark. And now we are taking them to tutors and educational therapists and enrichment activities to and from school. They don't walk to school on their own. Lots of kids. I don't know if you did when you were a boy, but oh, yeah. I certainly did. Yeah. Walk to school with a gang of other kids. And, uh, and so then the other piece that you mentioned is when parents are with their children. It's called Linda Stone, the 
technology theorist, ha- describes it as continuous partial attention. <laughs> okay. And it's also called technoference, which is we are half listening and half attending. And the other half of us is connected to our drug of choice, which is that little screen. Wow. And but that that works both ways. I mean, I don't want you to, all the parents to feel guilty, although they should feel perhaps a little more guilty. But the kids are doing it too. And and I wonder how much of that is a a bit of a vicious circle. Is well, if the kids are going to be on their phone, well, I might as well be on mine too. But then they could be saying the same thing. I think that's such a good point because it's not just guilt; it's a loss of the hilarity and the humor and the gloriousness and the fun and delight of seeing the world through a child's eyes in 2018. So the parents are being deprived of the magic of childhood and the courage is that it's easier to just let it go than to have a fight. So the kids are on their devices and the parents are on theirs. I just last night came back from vacation and was stunned to see whole families in restaurants in a tropical resort, Um, every single person looking at a screen, including the two-year-olds. You know, I I don't even know what to do about that exactly. It's it's a fascinating thing. And and I do a lot of a lot of toy and game reviews, and there are some of these kind of, uh, what do you call them, like solve the riddle kinds of things or escape the room types of things, and which some of them I've seen are really wonderful. They're all paper, and the clues are on paper, and you open up envelopes, and you solve things, and you're working together. And then there are some that are like that, but they're all phone-based that you have to identify a picture or you have to go online and, and solve something online. And they're, they're very different in the way that people interact or don't. Because it's, once it's phone-based, you're not using all five senses in the three-dimensional world. And I am absolutely not a Luddite. I love the merriamwebster.com dictionary site word quiz of the day. I would never miss it. Um, And certainly the internet is extremely helpful to me in my work. All of us need it and can use it well. It's not going anywhere. It's a question of moderation. Right. So what about the issue of voice? It was interesting as I was going through the book trying to to, uh, reconcile the, the phrase voice lessons with my sister, the cantor, who has, <laughs> you know, did voice lessons to, <laughs> to the point of destroying everybody else's and hearing in the house. <laughs> um, so speaking of cantors, the basic Jewish principle is about everything, basically, is moderation, celebration, and sanctification. And so we want to use our devices and our technology in a moderate way. And the celebration and sanctification is to treat children with great dignity and respect. 
And what I noticed, so I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in practice for 35 years. And something new started to happen, I would say, 10 years ago, which was that parents, so parents come in and they tell me what's going on with their child. And we dig down very deep, not for the family dynamics, but for the very specific elements of each frustration or the child's outburst or the parent's indignation. And I asked them what time of day it happened and if they were hungry and how many things the child had already done that day. And as the parents were recounting these tales to me, their voices would become much higher pitched. Hmm. They would sound indignant, as I just mentioned. And, and they came across as pleading, wounded, outraged. In both their tone and body language, they were signaling to their children, I can't handle it when you act like a child. And it became a form of sibling rivalry. So the kids thought, I don't have to listen to this bitch. You know, she's just, uh, she is ranting at me. I'll just ignore her. And with dad, same thing. And the dads often don't even try as much. Wow. Does that make sense? It it does, and I, I'm trying to think, and, and I can't for the life of me come up with an example of, of actually having seen that. I, I wonder if it's if it's something that I do. I don't know. I try not to be too shrill with my kids, but yeah, I, yeah. I don't think I don't think the fathers are as shrill, um, but they will. Sometimes, because here's a really interesting finding, babies develop their vocabulary more quickly when they're at least partially in the care of their fathers, because the fathers don't know every little, and these are wild stereotypes, and sometimes they're completely reversed. Well, dads tend to use bigger words or more complicated words. And they also, they have to ask and tell. And they use different words. They use words about transportation, or they use words about um, what the father is experiencing with the child. The mother can often read the child's cues Hmm. wordlessly. So they don't have to expand their vocabulary. Well, that's an interesting thing. I wonder whether that's going to change as more dads get more and more involved. I mean... With all the stay-at-home dads, I see it all, all the know. time on the street. I see fathers talking to their children yeah. in a very tender, respectful, grown-up but age-appropriate way. And That's the fun. mothers are exhausted because they're trying to do everything perfectly, yeah. and they judge themselves, and they think other people judge them, and they are running out of fuel, and mm. that's why the voice lessons. Talking with Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Wendy and get into some of the details about what that voice lessons thing is all about.
Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wendy Mogul, who's the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. And so let's let's talk about a little bit more about that. I think it, it's fascinating, the differences between dads and, and moms in that regard. I mean, I know that my kids have always told me that, that you know, they're old enough now that we can actually have a conversation at as adults, but that they, they say to me, you know, you've always talked to us like we were adults. You know, I, I, just, I you know, never did the little coochie-coo kind of stuff and always thought that they could handle it. And I, I remember actually years ago, and this was a, a, a female babysitter, when the oldest one, who's 28 now, was maybe two or three, this, uh, this girl was a, a student at UC Berkeley in somewhere in psychology, and my daughter, who's two years old, comes home from uh, having hung out with the babysitter, and she says something about a parapsychologist. <laughs> and I thought, what? I mean, <laughs> and I thought, you know what? What's the matter with teaching a kid a word like that? If she can pronounce it, well, then you know she clearly she's is able to handle it. I and mean, she's not going to be able to you know, identify one or write out a job description. But you know, who, who's to say that you can't? You have to talk about trains and fluffy bunnies all the time. Why not parapsychologists? Um, you can that you can think of words and the lexicon of a child's life as toys. Yeah. That it's really entertaining and fascinating to turn them around and see how they're created and see what they apply to and see what portals of enchantment they open up. If you can get to your child's eye level, put down what you're doing and have an open-ended conversation, not deep, emotional, how, how are you feeling? No, how are you really feeling? And how did it go at school today? And who did you sit with at lunch and with the, those girls who used to be your best friends? Were they mean to you again? Do you know the word humiliation, sweetheart? Not that kind of conversation. <laughs> no, no. But to talk to them about something interesting that happened in your day that reminded you of them. And yeah. then they have the sense that you hold them in mind when you're apart. And that's a wonderful antidote to separation anxiety. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that that's what separation anxiety the is about. inside you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's the, what separation anxiety is supposed to be about, I guess, is that their, their memories are, are forming a little bit differently. And they're just learning to be able to keep us in mind while, while we're gone. But they, right. they're worried that they might forget us or that we might forget to come back or something. Yeah. But so what, what about this, this tone of voice thing and the, the higher pitch? Is this something that you can actually train people? And, and will saying the same words with the same intonation but with a lower tone, will that help anything? Different tone and intonation. So this is literally what we do in my office. And because I live in Los Angeles and this is a company town, everybody's in show business, I can say to the people that I work with, I can say, I need a different line reading here. <laughs> because that's what, that's what casting agents say to, to people who are auditioning for parts. So the same sentence said with a different tone that is not, uh, does not have the flavor of searching for intel because lots of kids come not to trust their parents because they think that they're looking for the inside dope that is going to get them in trouble. 
the child, but to be curious, open-minded, not jumping to judgment, reflecting before reacting. And in no way does this mean being permissive or allowing the kids to do whatever they want. It means listening to them in a respectful fashion. And tone carries so much of the respect. So how do you teach that to people who are are not in Hollywood? So I can teach it to anybody. We just do it. We literally do it. I play the part of the child, and my client plays themselves, and then we switch. And in a few minutes, we're laughing. And that means when they get home to their child, instead of feeling this terrible urgency that we all feel so much of the time, did I do the right thing? There's a new concept, I think, you know about FOMO, fear of missing out. So now there's FOBO, fear of um, choosing the less ideal alternative. So I don't have the acronym exactly right there, but in our minds, it's the paradox of choice. We think, oh, is this the right school? Does she have the right third grade teacher? Is this a good friend for her in second grade, or is this going to become a gateway drug friend? Um, should we get a tutor or let it pass? Should we sign him up for a team sport, even though he really loves to paint? Uh, and... Well, it's just, that's the overprotective stuff. Yeah. Say it again? That's the overprotective stuff that we do. Yeah, it's overprotective, and it's also displacement of our own anxiety mm-hmm. about aging, about the condition of the planet, about the, the job market, about our in-laws, whatever is on your mind. It comes through in the quality of your voice when you speak to your child. So how can you describe that to people who are not going to be fortunate enough to be in the same room with you and, and have you discussing things face-to-face? So face? that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, that's, that's it. So we've got, to, we've got to get and some of those lessons across to people. Yes, and this is what I said in the book. Um, three steps to transforming your communication with your child. Relax your shoulders and place your hands in your lap. Lower your pitch and slow your tempo. Don't use a patronizing or babyish tone. (laughs) Even your brilliant child has a limited attention span. Keep your messages brief and deliver them loudly and clearly. And practice full frontal listening. Want your child to hear you? Put down your digital device and give him your full attention. A hand hmm. resting gently on his shoulder enhances the connection. What phrases make your kids cringe? You don't mean that. Who did you sit with at lunch? Be careful. I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking no human being has ever been more careful after someone said to them, be careful. Oh, I, oh, I think about that every time I hear about that. Oh, do a good job. What, what right, are you, are you serious? Like cowboy movie, The Cowgirl. Always says before the cowboy rides off into the the sunset or wherever he's going, be careful. Yeah, like, um, oh, oh, yeah, you know, thank you for telling me that because I was just going to go off and, and do some dumb thing. I, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I've, I've had, I actually wrote a column about this a, a couple of years ago was about 
you know, watch out for things like, oh, you're going to put your eye out with that or you're going to you're going to smash your hand in the door. It, really? That's I would imagine that's why a lot of kids don't trust their parents, because none of those things ever come true. Or, they or, never come true. There's a wonderful Swedish researcher. Her name is Ellen Sandsetter, and she wrote an article called The Antiphobic Effects of Thrilling Experience. And she says that every child needs to be exposed to great heights from which they could fall and, and really harm themselves, deep water in which they could drown, fire in which they could get burned, uh, power tools that they learn how to handle, and uh, a traveling at great speed and aggression. That sibling rivalry is, is wonderful practice for learning how to manage conflict with another human being about your size or a little bit bigger or smaller. And if we protect children from all of this, they will not be hardy perennials. They'll be hothouse flowers. Wow. So let them alone. Stop being so protective. Stop being so protective. But be fascinated. They are so interesting. And um, another thing I emphasize a, a lot with families is the joy of private jokes. That if you have a difficult time, if you go on a vacation, it doesn't turn out well, or to a party, or visit the grandparents, anything that was a rough patch, eventually it will be funny. And it becomes part of the family lore, which is a precious archive that you can refer back to all through your child's growing up years. I'm sure you and your 15-year-old daughter have lots of things that are only funny to the two of you. Oh, yeah. There's no shortage. <laughs> Wendy Mogul the author of Voice Lessons for Parents, What to Say, How to Say It, and When to Listen. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back again. Okay, wonderful to talk to you, Armin. And thanks very much to Navy Federal Credit Union for supporting today's show. They've been proudly serving the Armed Forces Department of Defense veterans and their families for over 80 years. Federally insured by NCUA. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.